I um, I always like this Sunday of the year. This is what, um, and I, you've heard me refer to it before, uh, what is traditionally considered a low Sunday. Um, and, and when they, we call it a low Sunday, what they mean is, you know, because Christmas Eve is such a big focus and so many people come that, um, you know, attendance is usually lower than your average on a Sunday after Christmas. Uh, and, and I don't say I like it because of that reason, but um, I don't know, this, this service always feels a, kind of a little bit more um, intimate to me. I know that's kind of an odd thing. I mean, we're still fairly full in here, but it's like being with the, the, um, your kind of immediate family, you know? Uh, well, okay. Um, but, but, but in seriousness, it does feel that way, and I've, I've always enjoyed it. Even the Sunday, my first year here, uh, Sunday morning was Christmas morning, and that was the most, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of a mixed blessing. It'll be that way next year, too, just so you know, um, just because I know, um, because I've already been thinking about it, as of Kimla and others. Uh, so, but it was, it was not, you know, Christmas Eve was wonderful. And I want to again say a word of thanks uh, to everybody who played a role in Christmas Eve. We had great music and, and all everybody that was up here. But we had folks around uh, the service and, and as I, ushers and sound people and video people and, and just set up people that really made, made Christmas Eve wonderful. How many of you were here for the 4 o'clock service? All right, you might want to come at 6 o'clock next year. Um, there's not a lot of room at 6 o'clock either. Uh, if, you weren't here, if you weren't here at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve, um, there were 315 chairs set up. That's how many we had set up ready. before. There were 360 in this room, not counting up here. Um, so it was intimate. And, uh, and it, was, it was very close. But it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good to kind of have this, uh, this Sunday as well to, um, to finish the year off and, and to celebrate. I hope, you know, like at whatever service or wherever you are. I know many of you were other places with family, and that's, that's wonderful. And so I hope uh, Christmas Eve was a joy for you, whatever that was. Christmas was a joy for you. Uh, and now we, we get ready to to blast through into 2016, and, uh, and so we do it with this, this time of worship. Um, before we do, because we are family, because we are close, we're, we're close. Um, how many of you are Indiana Hoosiers again? How many am I Indiana Hoosiers? <laughs> it was way wide, way, way wide. For those of you, for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, um, I, I, I'm sorry I couldn't resist. Duke and Indiana played yesterday in the New Era Pinstripe Bowl, and Duke trounced them <laughs> by three in overtime on a questionable call. But anyway, if you don't know John, the reason I was the most nervous about that, most of you know John Godfrey. He's an Indiana Hoosier, He's a, and I thought, oh my gosh, there'll be no living with that guy if, if Duke loses. <laughs> of course, he's thinking the same thing, so, um, so anyway, I'm sorry, that has nothing to do with anything, but I couldn't resist. All right, let's, uh, let's turn this morning to Luke chapter 2, 
beginning at verse 41. Now, here's the irony of, of the text. Um, this morning, we have two nights ago celebrated the narrative of Jesus' birth. The first gospel reading on the Sunday after Jesus' birth is a story from when he's 12. So uh, we jump very fast. In light. Of course, this is the only story of Jesus we have um, from his childhood. These are the first recorded words in the Gospels, or the earliest recorded words of Jesus uh, as, as a 12-year-old. And so let's read um, this story, if it's not familiar to you, or even if it is. Beginning again at verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us in these moments, as you do in all places at all times. Your Holy Spirit would nudge us, move us, compel us in faith, in growth, and in obedience. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. I stumbled upon this week a, um, a site known as um, Dad Jokes. Anybody ever heard of Dad Jokes? Dad Jokes are things like, or at least they're categorized as things like this. Um, did you hear about the person who invented lifesavers? They say he made a mint. Why did the Clydesdale give water to the pony? Because he was a little horse. <laughs> I, uh, I had a dream I was a muffler last night. I woke up exhausted. <laughs> and then my favorite. How do you make a Kleenex dance? You put a little boogie in it. <laughs> oh goodness you cringe but you'll tell it um the 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 point as you can tell is they're just the corny jokes apparently they say only your dad can get away with saying it, which i would find funny if i wasn't a father um but but i was thinking about this there's a couple other ones that that on friday you can try to pull off they're cringeworthy stuff but on friday on new year's day 
that you can do, especially if you have kids or grandkids. You can come down in the morning at breakfast and you can look in your grandkids or kids or spouse's face and say, wow, I haven't eaten since last year. <laughs> or you can get up on Friday morning and you can go for a jog and then you can tell everybody that you've exercised every day of the year. You, know, you, can, you can do those kind of silly, corny things that, that some of us do probably with too much frequency. And January 1st is a great opportunity to do it because on January 1st, in some ways, we feel like the slate gets wiped clean. It's a new year. We come out of this um, celebration of, of Christmas and we, we you know, celebrate the ball drops if you stay up and you, know, you usher in that new year. And it, it feels like new opportunities. And so that becomes the basis of our New Year's resolutions and, and that people will do. And if you watch, as, as I do, a lot of times with family, you'll watch one of the, the network shows of, you know, live from, from Times Square in New York. And inevitably, they'll have the reporter out there and the masses of humanity that will be asking people what their New Year's resolutions are. And, and so a lot of us do, some of us don't. But, but regardless of whether we name them, there's a time when we can be perfect in the new year. And there's a time you're going to be able to say, you know what, I haven't lost my temper with anybody all year. You know, on January 1st, you'll be able to say that. Or I haven't yelled at my kids. Or I have eaten clean. Or, you know, I haven't engaged in any bad habits. I've, I've gotten up and exercised. I've gotten up and read my Bible. Whatever it is, you know, there, there's this time when, when things kind of start fresh and we can claim that truth. The problem is, January 1st is followed by January 2nd, <laughs> January 3rd, January 4th, and inevitably, you know, you have somebody cut you off in traffic, you, you stub your toe on the bedpost, and if not, some unholy words, some unholy thoughts come into your mind, or, you know, you have that argument, or, you know, what, you just don't feel like getting out of bed that morning, or eating clean that day, or, or reading the Bible, whatever it is, you know, those, those habits sometimes break, and most often they do. And I'm not against New Year's resolutions. I don't think that there's anything wrong with them. But I think sometimes part of our problem is they're, um, they're too shallow. Maybe they're, they're too self-centered. And what we need to do is, is to see about opportunities to reorient our life. It doesn't have to be January 1st. But we a, a chance to reorient or recalibrate or refocus our lives in ways that, that go deeper than just those surface-level resolutions that often get created. And we get a chance to, to ask ourselves, are we doing the thing that God has called us to do? And it's kind of the example that Jesus gives here. When he goes, or actually not goes, when he stays at the temple, this, this story is part of this ongoing, um, I don't want to say ritual is the word I was looking for, but maybe that's the best word, in which um, faithful Jews would travel for, to the Passover in Jerusalem. And the scriptures indicate that this was Mary and Joseph's tradition. This was their, their ritual, if you will, with many other faithful Jews to go to Jerusalem and to celebrate the Passover, and they'd be there for a few days, and they'd travel with family and friends in these, in these large caravans. And after a few days of being away, it was time to go home. 
And we all know the joy of both going away and coming home. There is, there is a time when you're, you're ready to be back. Maybe Joseph was ready to get back to his wood and stone work. And, and Mary probably undoubtedly had a lot of things to do and, and, and responsibilities to take care of. They're ready to go home. And so the scriptures say that that's what they do. They begin to leave with many others. And after a day's journey, now let that sink in for a moment. After a day's journey, they recognize, they realize, they find out Oops, Jesus is not here. Jesus is 12 years old. This is the first, um, well, it's kind of a reverse Home Alone story. Remember that movie? You know, it's not Home Alone, it's Jerusalem Alone. Um, they'd, left, they'd left Jesus. They had forgotten. Now, how many of you have stories of leaving a kid somewhere? Any parents want to confess to that? All right, a few of you do. Some of you are like, no, I'm not raising my hand. I'm not telling him nothing. Um, <laughs> it happens. It happens. You drive off. You don't, you don't know that the kid wasn't in the car. Uh, you, you thought, you know, things, things like that can happen. Usually you find, I'm not going to ask anybody to tell your stories. Don't worry about it. But, uh, but usually find out pretty quick. Full day. Full day before they realize that Jesus isn't there. And, and there's some, some theories as to how that could happen. One, they traveled in large groups with family. I mean, there was large amounts of people, and so the assumption was Jesus was there. And, and in caravans like this, women and children were usually in the front, and men were in the back. They traveled separately. Uh, and so it could be very possible, Jesus being at that age, that Joseph thought Jesus was with his mother, and his mother thought Jesus was with his father. And so, you know, we, we don't know until that night or, or whatever time they finally checked in that he's not here. And it could also simply be that Jesus was a good kid. I mean, I think that's a fair assumption, right? And so you would expect a good kid to be where, you know, where he's supposed to be. I, I've told you, I've told you the story before, and I don't usually tell stories that make myself look good, but I've told you that story when I was in the fourth grade, and the, um, my fourth grade teacher and another fourth grade teacher would play pranks on each other. And they would always try to one-up each other. And she came into the class one day, and, and Miss Law was my fourth-grade teacher, and Miss Law wasn't in the room at the moment. And so she decided to get her by taking the student out of the class and hiding the student so Miss Law would think she lost somebody. And she took me and hid me literally in her closet. I'm not kidding. I was in her closet in a room for what seemed like an hour. And finally she got so frustrated, she took me back. And she said, how come you didn't? worry about your lost student. And she's like, well, you took Chris. I just figured he was where he was supposed to be. <laughs> Seriously. So, the, and I got in trouble. The other teacher got mad at me. I said, I didn't know you're supposed to take the bad students. I just volunteered to get out for a while. <laughs> but she didn't worry because I had, I was involved in other things. And this was a little bit of a different time in schools where kids could roam a little bit more freely than we can roam now. You all know that feeling. So she just assumed if I wasn't there, I, I had a reason to be somewhere else. And it was no big deal. I think maybe that's what happened with, with Mary and Joseph. So they go back to Jerusalem, and they hunt for three days. Now, again, can you just imagine the anxiety? Three days. And they finally find Jesus. And they basically say, hey, son, what the heck? Where you been? And his response in some translations is, did you not know I had to be about my father's business. To be about. And I started to think about those words. 
in relation to our lives, in relation of the aftermath of Christmas, the aftermath of the celebration of the birth of Christ, in the, the beginning of a new year, a resolution is really a way of saying, this is the thing that I plan to be about in the coming year. You know, I plan to be about not smoking. I plan to be about eating healthier. I plan to be about exercising more. I plan to be about spending more time with my family. I mean, fill in your blanks. That's what a resolution is. And those are all worthy resolutions. Don't hear me discouraging any of that. But I thought for us as, as followers of Christ, as, as, especially on a Sunday like this where, where most of us that show up on a Sunday after Christmas are those who are here regularly. And, and he, don't hear that as criticism to anybody else. But, but for us who, who are here and beginning, what is it that we're to be about? That, that goes deeper than just what is sometimes ah, superficial maybe is dismissive. I don't mean that. But maybe surface level. What is it that Christ has called us to be about? Because Jesus says, I'm to be about my Father's business. Well, what the first question is, what's the Father's business? The Father's business is transformation. That's what God does. He transforms lives, and He does it through the power of Christ. Uh, you know, a transformer takes a, a massive amount of energy or electricity and basically allows that to be disseminated, allows that to be, to be useful, um, kind of condenses that, and I'm not, I'm not into electricity. Don't come up later and tell me that I kind of explained it wrong. I'm sure I did. But basically, a, a, a transformer allows that energy to get into our homes, to, to, to turn on our lights, to make our lives a, a little bit um, brighter, to chase away the darkness, if you will. What does Jesus do? He takes the, the love of God, and he allows us to experience that through salvation and grace and through his life. He allows that to become even more real and personal for each of us. So God's about the work of transformation, about changing lives. And, and the testimonies of, of our lives are, are, are the testimonies of how God has done that in, in big and, and small ways. And your stories are about how God has done that and continues to do that. So if God's about the business of transformation... What is some of the business that we need to be about in this new year and really in all the new years? Well, all I can offer are some overarching principles there from the life of Christ because that specifically gets answered uniquely by each one of us. But when we look at Jesus, we see that there were two things that get exemplified in this story. One about, or one of the two be abouts, is getting deeper into God's Word getting deeper into God's Word. That's what Jesus was doing. Now, it is interesting, and we see this powerful example of both the, the mystery of the divinity and the humanity of Jesus, because Jesus was, from his birth, fully God. But yet, in his humanity, and God's willing to limit himself, Jesus still had to grow into that understanding. Jesus didn't come out of the womb with a full concept of all things um, celestial and heavenly. He grew in that wisdom. The Scriptures say he grew in wisdom and knowledge. And so we see Jesus growing, and certainly it says in the Scriptures that they were amazed at his insight and his wisdom, as we'd expect him to be. But we also kind of get this image of Jesus listening and learning and growing and hearing the stories and being shaped in the Scriptures. 
So even Jesus goes deeper in the Word. We're called to go deeper in the Word. We are, our, our challenge in faith and in Christ is, is to grow in that and to nurture that and to become familiar with, with God's Word. To become familiar with the stories. Wherever you are, I know some, every year people come up to me and say, I, I just don't, I don't know the Bible. I don't know the stories. That's okay. If that's where you're starting from, we all started from that point. Some of us just started at different ages. But we all started there. There's no shame in that. There's nothing to be embarrassed about by that. But if next year you come up to me and you're in the exact same place in your knowledge of God's Word as you are this year, you've missed an opportunity. You've missed an opportunity to allow God to work transformation because God does it through God's Word. That's why He gave it to us. This is not just literature. This is the, the story of God's work in the lives of God's people, and we're part of that story. It's a story of God's transformation. We need to grow in the Word. Personal Bible study, um, community Bible studies. You need to become familiar. No matter how familiar you are, you can become more familiar. There's not one of us here who's exhausted this, and you won't. I, I remember a guy said to me once that he was his, his daughter didn't go to church anymore. And, and I understand that happens, and some of you have those experiences with children or, or grandchildren. And that can be very, very difficult. But I remember, because he was a preacher, and he said to me, well, she doesn't go because she kind of grew up in church and she knows all the stories. And I went, What? No, no, and I, I didn't say that to him because I was wanted to be respectful. But, but no, you don't know all the stories. I, nobody knows all the stories. There's more, and every time we read, we learn, we go deeper. And you can't exhaust us. This is an inexhaustible well. So we go deeper into God's Word. But here's the other kind of more subtle example, is that when Mary and Joseph found Jesus, he returned with them. I mean, he didn't say, no, I'm going to stay here in the temple. I'm good here. I like it here. I can just get entrenched in the Word. I can become intellectually wiser in the stories of God's work and God's grace and God's gifts. No, he returns. He gets back into the world, which is always the example that Jesus would give. And so Jesus goes deeper in the Word, and he goes wider in the world. And that simply means, brothers and sisters, that we take the transformation that God works in our lives, and we live it out in the world in which we're called to serve and love. We are not called to create a commune and cluster ourselves and separate ourselves from the world that God loves. We're called to engage, to be about the work of, of ministry and service. That's why the things that I see happen um, that are outreach ministries in this church excite me as much as anything that happens here. You know, Christmas Eve worship services and full houses, that's wonderful. I love that. I celebrate that. I'm thankful for that. But you know what I really love? I love the times when we can see shoeboxes packed all over the church because that's ministry to the world. And I love it when backpacks are packed with school supplies that are taken to the school because that's ministry to the world. Or, or pack-a-sacks or food baskets on, uh, you know, the, the Sunday, I guess, well, I guess it was a little over a week ago when, when the commodities were distributed and families come in, as happens twice a month, and, and receive food. And, and gift cards. I mean, that's, that's engaging the world. 
I mean, that's, that's, the, it, it, that's the breathe in and the breathe out of faith. And we breathe in God's word and we become shaped by it, but we breathe out God's love and we begin to impact others. And so that becomes the question, what are you called to be about in the new year? You know, maybe in addition to, um, to, to feasting on, on more healthy foods for your body in 2016, we also need to be about feasting on God's word that feeds our spirits, the bread of life. You know, maybe about exercising our physical muscles, which is important, but we need to be exercising our spiritual muscles by practicing, engaging in prayer and being part of the opportunity to lift each other up in prayer and doing that with intentionality and focus the same way that, that we have to do if we are exercising or do a, other healthy habits. And maybe your goal was to, to watch less TV, to read more. You think, I really want to read and stretch my mind. That's a great thing. How about the opportunity um, to go to Blackburn Elementary once a week and read to the kids? You know, to engage both of those things. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Or the opportunity to get engaged in one of the many opportunities to serve. Or maybe there's a new one we haven't yet discovered, but it's on your heart. And God's burdened you with it. And he's calling you to engage it and, and to lead it. Most of the ministries that impact around here were started because somebody had a burden for it, and it wasn't me. Not that I don't share those concerns, but, but they're the burdens that God placed on the hearts of others, and they kind of ran with it. They went deeper and they went wider. That, that becomes our challenge, to be about. Jesus says, I had to be about my Father's business. God's business is transforming our lives, but transforming us in service to the world. So, as you contemplate, or don't, New Year's resolutions. Let's contemplate that one. In 2016, Lord, how do we go deeper? And how do our hands stretch wider? That's what we're called to be about. Let's pray. Lord, challenge us as we approach uh, another celebration of a new year. 2016 is upon us. And um, my prayer, Lord, is that next year, when I stand here and we worship together at the end of that year, that we know we won't have done nearly as much as we could. But I pray that we won't be where we started. That we will be different next year than we've started this year. Because... We've allowed your transforming Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to take us deeper into your word and wider in our service to the world. Let that be the character of our lives and the definition of our faithfulness. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs>